so awesome. Good morning, everybody. You are beautiful. Receive that. Yeah. So, hey, we are so glad you are here today and so glad that you have chosen to come this morning and not be fooled by this weather 
and pull out the barbecue and the lawn chairs and all the good stuff and, you know, have a picnic or go bird watching if you've heard the birds starting to chirp and everything. But um, we got an exciting service planned for you today. But um, hopefully everybody received a program. There's a couple things I wanted to point out to you um, in this program. First and foremost, this is a time that we are recruiting for our internship program. It's a 10-month program, formal program that Kensington actually has for people who are interested in, uh, in ministry or really something God's put on your heart and you're trying to figure that out. And uh, what the program is about is um, really learning operationally, being mentored and um, by our staff here and, and, and also classes that one takes in this 10-month period of time. And, and it's uh, through a variety of our different departments, whether it's our, our arts team, whether it's uh, uh, global uh, partners, or even discipleship, or any of the others. Um, it's really something to think about if you're interested in that. And again, this could be for anybody. There's a young lady named Maggie Youngs who's outside at a table that says internship, and she would love to speak with you about that. Second of all, we have, again, this weekend, our connection uh, fair. And if you've seen in the lobby there, the balloons and the flags, um, when you go out here to the left side, it's all laid out there. And let me kind of guide you through that because, you know, our groups are really about um, getting into community here at Kensington. We know there could be a lot of people, it could be overwhelming, and this is an opportunity to find a group that's right for you and what may be going on in your life and doing life with other people. So what you'll find out there is we have our groups, like our men's group, our women's group, um, mixed, singles, couples, families, um, and those are a lot, again, of our, our small groups. Um, we also have our, uh, our care ministry, so for Celebrate Recovery, Grief Share, um, Beyond Divorce. In fact, um, this week we have uh, Grief Share a uh, group that's starting up new, so I welcome you into that if you're if you're um, uh, uh, have experienced a loss in your life, whether it's recent or in the past. And then also we have our classes. We have uh, Financial Peace University starting up tomorrow. Still time to sign up for that. Bible Basics this week. Alpha. We also have a parenting class as well. One of our other new groups that we've started is called K Friends. So if, uh, for teens or adults with special needs, I would recommend uh, seeing somebody at the table over there. Men, we have a new class starting out. Um, I'm sorry, a new uh, study starting out this week uh, called A Man in His Marriage. And this is not just for men who are married. This is for any man, whether you're single, whether you're engaged, whether you're divorced. I welcome every man into this. Because here's where the power really is, is when we come together and we share from our experiences. That's iron sharpening iron. So you really need it there, again, wherever you're at in your life. One other uh, course I'd really like to highlight for you is Alpha. And uh, I want you to watch this video and then I'll come back and mention something about. Life is busy. Every day we ask questions like, what's happening today? What should I wear? How am I gonna fit everything in? But then there are bigger questions like, why am I here? What's my purpose? Where am I heading? Is there more to life than this? These are some of life's big questions, but there's rarely enough time to think them through. That's why Alpha exists. 
Alpha is a place to explore life's big questions in a safe and open environment. It's a series of sessions where anyone can share their thoughts and opinions and ask questions without feeling judged. When you come to an Alpha, you'll notice that first, there's food. Whether it's a full meal or a light snack, this is the time to get to know each other in a casual setting. Next, you'll watch an Alpha talk. The talks are created to engage and spark conversation. They explore big issues around faith from a Christian perspective. After the talk is a time for discussion. This is the most essential part of any Alpha. It allows everyone to share their own opinions on the ideas presented in the talks. It's a time for people with different thoughts, beliefs, and experiences to ask honest questions and have open conversation. Every week, there are guests coming for the first time to an Alpha in their community. Alpha is for everyone, regardless of background or beliefs. There's no pressure, no follow-up, and it's completely free to attend. Come and explore life's big questions. Find an Alpha near you today. All right, so you don't have to go far to find that Alpha because we have it right here at this campus on Wednesday evenings at 6.30. We start out with a hot meal, and then we go into the, uh, into the class. Um, new this season, we're actually offering Youth Alpha for teenagers. And I have Rachel here, who's one of our uh, Alpha on our Alpha leadership team. And between her and Brian, they're going to be leading the, the Youth Alpha course. And uh, so parents of teenagers or teenagers who are here, we really welcome you into that. It happens at the same time. So if you come as a family, um, you can just come at that same time. And, but there's different classes. You're just across from each other. Okay? So um, any questions on that? Again, when you leave here today, go right to the right side. All the tables are laid out there. You could speak to Rachel. You could speak to anybody about the, the different groups and courses and get signed up then. All right. So I would love to welcome everybody next to do our Kensington Crunch, to stand and greet one another. But there's a condition to this. Every hand you shake, look that person in the eye and tell them you are beautifully made. Thanks, Rich. Perfect. You are beautifully made, brother. Now that had to feel pretty good, right? You're beautifully made. So all of a sudden I'm like, okay, I feel good about myself. Well, welcome. My name is Danny. We're so grateful that uh, you are here. And I'll tell you something. We've already been on a roll this weekend. I don't know how many of you got a chance to be there, but who was at the leadership gathering? Anyone just yell some? Yeah, look at you guys. Uh, it, was a, it was a great time. If you weren't there, uh, it's something that we do twice a year where we gather our core leaders. We invite leaders from our community to come in and to learn about leadership, to hear God's vision about leadership, to inspire leaders. All of us are leading something. And so we got just a, a chance to have so much fun. I got to play music again. I played drums uh, with Jalen, which was just awesome. Uh, Hayden, he's our, our, our worship leader. That's Dave Dummett, uh, he, which is actually a church uh, called 242, which is one of the fastest growing churches in the country. He's actually in our area. Amazing leader. The Shyrocks uh, have Oak Point Church and then this goofy guy. 
uh, Steve Andrews that leads our church, you know, <laughs> I love that man. But it was so powerful. Andrew Kim got to teach. Our new teaching pastor taught the second day. Awesome. So we are just excited about that. We just wanted to celebrate that. Well, we are now in the third week of this series that we're calling Crave, where we're looking at the cravings in our life that are kind of taking and ruling our life, taking over our life. The first week we talked about this craving to have approval of people over the approval of God. And that really struck a nerve. I've had so many conversations, still have conversations in the lobby about this idea that we're living out expectations of other people rather than really understanding what God expects from us and living that out. Last week, Andrew did a great job as he's talking about cravings of substance, in particular alcohol, but we really uh, crossed the board of substance and powerful testimony. And here's what I want you to know. There is a community of people. We've talked about it every week. I'm going to continue to talk about it because I really believe in it. There's a community of people called Celebrate Recovery. They meet on Monday nights here at 7 o'clock, 7 o'clock at our Orient campus on Tuesday nights. In fact, this past week, I got to go and teach uh, the Celebrate Recovery uh, with that team. Now, that, to me, is one of the most transparent groups of people that we have in this place. Because they are working through their hurts, habits, and hang-ups. Now, many times we look at recovery and we think it's just alcohol, drug addiction. That's only about 30 or about a third of the people that go there. The rest are dealing with all kinds of other things. It could be anger, codependency, you name it. And so this past Tuesday, I actually uh, got uh, awarded my, my actual Celebrate Recovery token that says that I, I completed a 12-step Meaning I went through a whole year of what we call a step study. I did it with my mentor, Bill, and I never knew I was going to get this. This is something I'm going to carry. I'm proud of this. Because I walked through a whole year where I was working through stuff. And I'm going to tell you something. When I did that, I only did it because Bill came to me and he said, Hey, you're always talking about recovery. Have you ever done anything? And I had done a lot of psychology. You know, I'd met with all kinds of people. I'd worked on myself for years. And I said, no, I've never done Celebrate Recovery. He said, you need to do a step study. Because you can't be up there telling people to do it if you've never done it. So I was like, okay, I'll do it. That's kind of how Bill talks too. And so he was my mentor and we did it together. I never realized what was going to happen in that year. But at the end of that, about 14, it took me about 16 months. By the 14th month, God opened up a whole new world that I didn't know existed and set me free in an area of my life that I really struggled. And that area we're going to talk about today, at least part of that area we're going to talk about today. And the area today that we're going to talk about is our body, our vessels. I can't say no to our body, to my body. And it was so funny because at the leadership gathering, our intern, our production intern, Don, he comes up to me, he goes, at the end of the whole thing, he goes, hey, uh, so are we talking about body image this, this, week, this weekend? And I said, okay, yeah, yeah, we're sort of talking about that. He goes, are you teaching? I said, yeah. I was, yeah. He goes, I have a challenge for you. And I leaned in. I was like, yeah, what's the challenge? He goes, I challenge you to teach with your shirt off. <laughs> so that's what we're going to do today. <laughs> Time out. People are like. <laughs> that's a bad image. You're like, why did you start that way? So here but I'll tell you something, in our Western context, body image and the ex- expectations are off the charts. People are literally altering their body, at times risking even death to find some kind of perfect image 
don't know if you've seen some of these images. There's even a, a woman, I don't even know where she's from, somewhere around the world that's trying to create uh, in herself an actual Barbie doll. Like she wants to become a human Barbie. It's unbelievable what's happening. There's crazy stats out there too from just health and fitness magazines and web pages. Listen to these. One out of five men and two out of five women would trade three to five years of their life to achieve their weight goals. The diet industry has sales of $40 billion a year. Billion. Think about that. 41.3 million Americans have a gym membership. Up almost uh, 23% in 2001. And young girls fear becoming fat more than nuclear war cancer and losing their parents. Crazy, isn't it? Photoshop, airbrushing, social media, altered images, practice surgery have all contributed to this idea of creating a false, unattainable image. And I'll say, especially for women in our culture, what our culture has done, what we've painted, I would say this, what men sometimes have painted, and I'm not shaming men in this room, but what, what has happened in our culture is unbelievable. What's happening even now in our culture. Now, here's what I want to say to all the women in this room on stream. This place, this church, our church, Kenzie, not just Troy, but all of our campuses need to be a safe place for our women. You come in and this is a place where you are viewed solely as God sees you. That this has to be a place where you come in and you can go. And men, we need to create that even more and more and more. We really do. It's a big deal. Because I can't believe the distorted images that are happening now in our society. And so how can we see our bodies differently? That's what I'm hoping will happen today. How can we see them differently? How can we get up in the morning and feel at peace with the vessel that God has gifted to us? There's many days, many days, and this is not just for women, it's for men as well. Many days you get up and you look in that mirror and you're like, I don't think you're thinking, I'm beautifully made. I think there's something else happening in our minds. So I'm on Instagram, Facebook, Pinterest. I love Pinterest. Um, I watch TV shows. I read self-help books. And I feel like we're getting all of this information, so much advice like uh, how to be beautiful at any age, useful, how to be the best version of yourself, how to dress to look thinner, all the most amazing, wonderful ways to take good care of yourself. Hide your hips, hide those wrinkles, hide yourself. How to love yourself, how to free yourself, how to be yourself, how to lose 10 pounds in two weeks, how to lose 10 pounds in 10 days, and my personal favorite, how to lose 10 pounds in two hours. (laughs) Finally, a diet plan I can commit to. How to curb your cravings, how to tell good carbs from bad carbs, although I'm not convinced there are any bad carbs. How to eat chocolate and still lose weight, that's what I want to know. I have basically figured out how to have fuller lips and curlier eyelashes and a better workout, basically a better life because 
I've got the right lip gloss, people. I mean, will there ever be a time when I am not worried about feeling too fat or too skinny or I'm not obsessing about my crow's feet or my laugh lines or my furrowed brow? I've got a furrowed brow because I have so much anxiety about aging. I mean, if my body wants to jiggle, can't my body just jiggle? And the real question, why can't my fat pants be my regular pants? I mean, how does a 40-something get the body of a 20-something? Doesn't that sound a little ridiculous? I mean, how do I get that body? That's going to require a lot of liposuction, and that's expensive. I mean, I'm going to need Botox. I'm going to need, like, lip work, eye work, cheek work. When do I get to stop fighting to be something that I am never going to be? When can I stop fighting so that you'll like me or love me or see me? When can I hear you say that who I am is enough, quite enough, without all of this? Because this did not get me the man. Definitely didn't get me the job. It didn't get me the self-esteem, the self-worth. It did not get me what I wanted, and it certainly didn't get me what I needed. It didn't get me more hope, more peace, more connection, more anything. Why can't a 40-something just look like a 40-something? When will I ever hear you say that who I am is enough? When will I believe that who I am is enough?
I actually think that question, out of all the years I've been here, out of all the conversations that I've had with many of you, in private conversations and conversations in the lobby, I would say that question, will I ever be enough, is probably at the core of so much of our struggles. I hear that question over and over. This questioning of, am I enough? Am I accepted? You know, am I loved? Am I beautiful? Am I worthy? Is at the core of so much of our life. And that's what I'm hoping happens today is that we reframe this vessel that we're in, that we get vision of how God sees it. But more importantly, we have a change of our perspective of how God sees us and how we see him. And hopefully there's a moment where we start to wash off. We start to wash off parts of us that are just hiding the real us. And we start to accept what God has for us. Let me pray. Lord, that's what we really desire. Father, I desire strongly to hear the sounds of falling chains. Meaning, Lord, that the things that are wrapped around our hearts, the images we have of ourselves that are false that are expectations of others that have been placed on us. Lord, I ask that they fall away. And for a moment, we actually get to experience how you see us as a community and individually. Lord, we know when those moments happen, everything can change. And so, Lord, I'm asking for that. Let my words not be my words. Let them be your words. My words will amount to nothing, but yours have eternal power. Lord, speak to our hearts. Let us have ears to hear and eyes to see you in a new way. Amen. Well, all of us come in different shapes, different sizes, different kinds of bodies, everything, unique. Some of us are made bigger than others, smaller, everything in between. In fact, my dad, he's a big man. He's got these hands, they're like old school hands. I love his hands. I could put his hands across my whole face and just hold them, you know. I've always loved that about my dad. This is a side note. When I was a kid, I used to take his hands and just pick his nails. He hated that. That's a side note. It has nothing to do with our day. He's just like, stop it, son. You know, he doesn't talk like that, like Popeye. But, but one thing I love about my dad is he's just a big guy. And he went to get knee replacement uh, several years ago. And he went in, he had a full replacement on his right, a half on a uh, parcel on his left. And when they went in to do it, they, they had to measure. And, he, and the doctor came in and he said, I had to order the biggest knee replacement I've ever ordered in my history of doing this. Like he goes, you have the biggest bones I've ever seen in my life, right? My dad, that's just his body. It's unique. God has made us all unique. We all have unique vessels. And I love the word vessels that hit me this week. Our bodies are vessels that God has given us. And the idea of a vessel to me in my brain takes me right to the right to the actual shoreline of the ocean. When I think about a vessel, I think about what would it be like if you had to cross the sea, if you had to go across the ocean, what what kind of vessel would you like to be in? Because all of us are in a journey in our life. Every one of us, this is a long journey. And if you got there and you were gonna get into a boat and it had holes in it, or the mast wasn't really working, there was sails, or the motor wasn't working, or there was weak spots, what would you do? You would fix that. You're not going to go out on the ocean. Now, some days on the ocean are going to be just still, but other days you're going to have 30-foot rollers. Guess what? That's life. That's what we live in. And these are the vessels that carry us. And so to me, it's a beautiful picture to say, we are in these vessels 24 hours a day. We have a strange relationship with our body, actually. It's really unique. 
But it's a big deal how we view our body, how God views it, and how we care for it. And so I'm going to go back to Romans 12. This is the Apostle Paul speaking. We've used the scripture a couple times. It's sort of a theme for this series, Crave. But I want to read this again. I'm going to use another part of it in a little bit. But Romans 12, 1 says this. And so, dear brothers and sisters, I plead with you. And I want you to hear this today. I plead with you to give your bodies to God. Give your bodies to God because of all he has done for you. Let them be a living and holy sacrifice, the kind he will find acceptable. This is truly the way to worship him. Now, I don't know if you look at your body as holy. I don't know if you look at your body as this living, holy sacrifice. You look at it as something that is worshiping God. Many times I'm just thinking, this does not feel holy. This does not feel worthy of handing over to be worshipped to God. There's many days I've thought that. You've thought the same thing. That's why you're nervously laughing. And so we're asking Jack Wilson, who's our resident expert, to give us some wisdom on this. Because many times in this cycle of cravings and addictions that make our bodies feel anything but holy, there's some just logic behind it. And then there's this beautiful spiritual truth that comes there that will propel us to have freedom in that. So Jack Wilson, good friend of mine. I've met with him for over a dozen years. He knows so much about my life and my struggles. He's helped me through so many hurdles. He's a man of wisdom. Uh, he is he's a great professional. He had a great professional life. He's poured into high-end athletes and trained them in the way that they think. And he's just going to give us his classic Jack Wilson, beautiful wisdom. Listen to this, and then we'll come alongside it with what God says. One of the uh, cravings we're going to talk about in the series is the body. Mm-hmm. And it's actually, again, a real tension because you want to take care of your body. Mm-hmm. It can become something that gets out of control, mm-hmm. either with fitness or eating, overeating, mm-hmm. under. So talk yeah. about that a little bit. When does the body become a danger? Well, the body has two pieces to it, as I, as I understand the question. One is reality and the other one is not reality. Okay, when we're in a circumstance or situation as we are in our culture with an absolute pandemic uh, of obesity uh, and all the diseases that go with obesity, that's something that we have to be aware of and, you know, and, 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 and alert. And we have to have good nutrition. We have to have exercise. I have so many people over the years who have who've come to me about, you know, weight issues. You know, how can I lose weight? How can I control my weight? No, and I'm, I'm really a person who believes that the simple and easy are not synonyms, never have been, never will be. But when someone says that to me, I, uh, I, I give a, a simple response, uh, eat less, exercise more. Um, and then you'll have the probability that you'll have you know, less of an, of an issue you know, of, with controlling your weight. And that's really actually research-based. It's not just you know, something that I, that I throw out there. Um, but just because it's simple doesn't mean that it's easy because there are all those other variables in there in terms of, of cravings and emotional balance in our lives and you know, all, the, all the kinds of things that are made available to us. It is such a natural thing for that to develop into a craving. And then for many, many people, food becomes an addiction. Uh, and there are two kinds of addictions, Dave. Uh, there's a substance addiction and a process addiction. Eating is a real difficult one because it's both a process addiction and a physical addiction for, for many people. 
so, you know, that, that's a tough one. That's why we see so many people who struggle with it, and we have to have empathy and care and concern for them. And uh, just because I can almost in a cavalier sense say uh, uh, eat less, exercise more, that doesn't mean that it's easy to do it just because it's simple. Yeah, and a physical craving or addiction. They're different, but how? The process addiction, um, in its purest sense, most addictions are a combination, of course, but the process addiction, in its purest sense, doesn't have a physical part to it. Okay? And I'm going to go back to the body image, uh, Im- body and image thing. You know, that's a process addiction in many ways, whether we're talking about all the way at the extreme you know, of, of anorexia or whether we're talking about uh, people being obsessed about having the perfect body. Culture sets up norms, uh, and the cultural norm that has been set up uh, for us uh, is lean, six-pack, no bulges, you know, all of those kinds of things. That just isn't realistic. So in the process of attempting to get there uh, and and trying to get as close to that as we can, we, we can become obsessed with exercise and we can become obsessed with controlling food. And that is the process that we have become addicted to. Mm. Does that make sense? Yeah. yeah. So the physical addiction then is actually something. Physical. It can actually be the food. The physical, the, you can be physically addicted, you know, to, to food because it triggers uh, all kinds of different kinds of things. You know, some of us are very, very sensitive to our palate. We get great pleasure from eating certain kinds of foods prepared in certain kinds of ways. Um, and others of us uh, become uh, addicted to the physiological response that we get. Mm. Uh, and then others of us get physiologically addicted to never feeling full. Mm. Uh, and again, that's a, that's a physiological and, you know, and psychological thing. I love Jack. I love how he speaks. He's used that line with me many times where simple is not synonymous with easy. It's a big deal. Because he'll lay out these simple things, and I'm like, that's not easy. And it's like, yeah, I didn't say it was. You know, it's hard. But something that hit me over the past few weeks as we're walking through this series is something my friend Jamie Winship has told me for years. He's like, Danny, when you get down to the bottom of a struggle, he really believes that it's wrong thinking about ourselves and wrong thinking about God. Wrong thinking about ourselves and wrong thinking about God. And I really believe that. I've hit that so many times in life that we have this wrong thinking. And so when culture sets the norm and we attach onto that norm, God's saying, don't do that. That's why I want to read Romans 12 too. And I used this before. And it says, do not copy the behavior and customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. Anyone that's been in recovery knows this. You have to change the way you think. You have to have a mindset shift. It's core to it. And so I want to give you just a few thoughts, five thoughts, and surround them with scripture to gain a new way of thinking about our vessels, about our bodies. And here are the five. Our bodies belong to God. Our bodies need care. Our bodies have a purpose. Our bodies are a temple and our bodies matter to God. Our bodies belong to God. Our bodies are not our own. It's an odd statement. You're like, yes, they are. They're my own. I own this body. It's mine. I'm with it 24 hours a day. This is not your body. God has given them to us. God's created our body and given it to us as a gift. 
Now, I know there's some of you in here that's like, God, is there any possibility I can re-gift my body? <laughs> right? I'm saying, Lord, can I re-gift my body and get Dwayne the Rock Johnson's body? Right? I would take it. But God expects us to use our bodies in the way he intended them to be used. Now, here's what the culture will say to us. It's your body. You do whatever you want with it. Just do whatever you want. It's yours. Do it anything. You can do whatever you want. I'm, I, I see that a lot in, a young, in the younger generation. Just do whatever you want. And God's saying, no, no. I don't want you to do whatever you want. It's not your body. I've created it. And I've made it and I've loaned it to you to live in on this earth for a period of time. It's on loan to us. And God expects us to take care of his creation. That's why I love Psalm 139 so much. Listen to this. And I want you to think about yourself. Think if you think this way about yourself. This is how God thinks about you. For for you formed my inner parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. Do you believe that? Do you, you look get up in the morning and you look in the mirror and I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. I feel so good. I'm so knit together. Do you feel that? You should feel that. Wonderful. I am wonderful. No, we don't feel that, but we should because my soul knows it very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was being made in secret, intricately woven in the depths of the earth. It's a beautiful piece of how God sees you, that you are intricate, that you are woven, that you are knitted together, that you are fearfully and wonderfully made. What does that mean, fearfully? The Lord of all creations has made you. There's, there's fear, meaning like, oh, I can't believe that that's me. Yes. Many of you walked in here today, you don't think that at all. I'm hoping by the end of the day, you realize that Psalm 139 speaks truth because God's created you. He's created all things. They belong to him. And our bodies are on loan, created by God. Now, the Greek philosophy, certainly pressing back, the Apostle Paul would press back on the Greek philosophy many times of Aristotle, Socrates, or Plato. They would have a different kind of philosophy. It was sort of this dualism thing where your mind and your spirit were very much seen as something that would be that you have to steward and take care of and, make, and be holy, but your bodies weren't. Your bodies weren't. In fact, they would think that your bodies weren't important spiritually at all. They devalued the body. In fact, some Greek philosophers taught that the body was actually evil. And so you could do whatever you want. But God's saying, no, no, no. I care about all. I care about all of you. In fact, the apostle Paul spoke against this when he was speaking to the people in Corinth who were very decadent, doing all kinds of things to their body. Paul said this, your body's not made for immorality, but for the Lord and the Lord for the body. Our bodies belong to God. He owns them and they are loaned to us. They are a gift and meant to be used as God designs. Our bodies need care. It seems simple. We don't own our bodies, but we are the caretakers of them. So we have to take care of our bodies. The word that we would use in scripture is steward. We don't use that word as much anymore as stewardship or steward. I always say to parents, I'm like, your children are not your children. They're like, what? They're not your children. They're God's children, and they're on loan to you. It's the greatest stewardship gift we could ever have is our kids. And God loves them more than we love them. I I have no idea how that is. 
And our bodies are the same. God said, I'm loaning this. I'm giving this. I want you to care for it. I want you to take care of it. And many times when it comes to the caring of our bodies, we can take two kind of extremes. One is the worshiper and one is the neglector. And you may fall in these extreme camps. I think the health is somewhere in between. But the worshiper is someone saying that I have to have the perfect body. I'm going to do everything I can. I have to make this vessel perfect. I can't take anything else less than that. And it's driven by that. I had, uh, my dad had a friend at work where he would, he would literally work out so much that even if his kids needed him, he wouldn't go. He would go to his workout. He'd say, no, I'll get to you after. He was so obsessed with having this thing. And then you have the neglector, the one that says, like, it's not important. Yeah, I got other things. I'm just going to neglect my body. And so uh, last week when Andrew Kim was speaking, he, he accidentally let something slip out. Like, next week we're going to talk about the body. And, uh, you know, I have a little bit of an issue with that. And I was like, oh, take note. And then I went to his office this week, and I'm like, Andrew, you said this. What did you mean? And what he shared was so powerful. And here's what I think. I think Andrew, I think God brought Andrew and I together for a reason, because we are the extremes in some ways. And so I'm going to have Andrew explain his extreme, and then I'll explain mine. Um, so go ahead and share yeah. your heart. This Thanks, awesome. brother. Appreciate it. And so I was telling Danny this past week, um, just a little bit about my struggle and my journey. And um, something that you probably noticed about me is that I am Asian. And if you didn't know that about me, surprise, I am. And so, um, but specifically, I'm of Korean descent. And so that's the culture that I grew up in. And so similar to American culture, Korean culture places a high value on the external, on physical appearance. So I remember, just to give you an example of that, I remember when I was growing up as a teenager, some of my female friends, they would go to Korea for a summer in order to get, a, in order to get surgery on their eyelids. Because Asian people, Korean people, uh, I should specifically say, um, they, have, they tend to have smaller eyes than Caucasian people. And one of the reasons why is that they do not have a double eyelid. They don't have a fold on their eyelid, which tends to make your eyes bigger. And I was telling Danny this this past week, that I have one eye that has a fold and another that doesn't. And I remember I was in Korea one year, and my uh, cousin said, oh, you have that. That means that you're a player. That's what that means. <laughs> and so I was like, all right, that's cool. I told Danny that, and I was like, oh, yeah. That's of fun. course, yeah, that's exactly who I am. Um, and, but some of my uh, female friends, they would go to Korea, and they would have this surgery. And then they would spend uh, a few weeks in Korea recovering, and then they would come back, and then they would have this fold in their eyes, and their eyes would be noticeably bigger. And it was a sign of beauty, and they would do this because it was that important to them. It was important in culture, in that culture. And, of, and also in Korean culture, being overweight is a horrible thing. And so growing up, I was teased a lot because I was a little bit overweight. I was a chubby kid. And so I remember when I was 12, 13 years old, standing in the gym at my local community center because I, was, I said to myself, you know what, I don't want to be teased anymore. I don't want to be like this anymore. And so I started working out, not because I was playing sports and I, and I wanted to be better in that area, but just simply because I just didn't want to be overweight. And then that happened for years, and that started me on a path, a very unhealthy path. And the point in my life where I came to realize, you know what, I think this is a problem in my life, was in my early 20s. And I was, at the time, I was working for a humanitarian organization, and I was based out of Texas. And we, on some of these days, we would have some crazy days. We would start work at 7 a.m., and we would go all the way till like 11 p.m., 12 p.m., midnight. And most of my colleagues, all my colleagues, would go home and get, try to get some rest before the next day came. But what I would do is that I would go to the gym on campus. 
And it wasn't a big gym, and it, there was just like one little tiny light in that gym, and I would turn it on, and I'd basically be working out in the dark. And on one night, I looked around, thinking to myself, what am I doing? I'm exhausted. Why am I here? And I realized that, you know what, working out, if I allow myself, if I don't work out, or if I feel like I'm letting myself go, I, I came to realize that I feel like I have less worth in my mind. I have less value in my eyes. And even coming here, it's still a struggle to me. I've received, I feel like I've experienced a lot of healing, but even moving here to Michigan, one of my big concerns was, where am I going to work out? <laughs> if I eat something, if I go to McDonald's with my kids and I eat a Big Mac, I feel like, oh man, I have to work out more. If I miss a workout, I think to myself, I worry. And I can almost feel my self-esteem dipping. And I sort of almost like grab my obliques here and, and I say, oh no, I'm, I'm starting to gain weight. No, you're not. Thanks. I appreciate that. <laughs> but that's a little bit of my journey. And I wish I could say, hey, you know what? I'm free. But I'm hoping I'm every single day with amazing people in my life like Danny. Um, I'm hoping to move towards greater freedom every single day. So thank you so much for allowing me to share my story. Awesome. With you. Thanks, buddy. I appreciate it. Yeah, so in some ways, I have a very different journey. Because when I was a kid, I was super thin. And I was really tall. And in fact, my, my chest would kind of cave in. That's how thin I was. And, you know, as I got older, I was just like, you know, like I was the most awkward looking guy. And I, I just couldn't, I couldn't gain weight. And I would tell my mom, I got to gain weight. I have to gain weight, you know. And so I would eat more, eat more, nothing. And, and so my brother, Joe, was totally opposite. He was big, barrel-chested. I'm not kidding. This is a true story. I literally saw my brother pick up the front end of a car and move it. That's how strong he was. And then here's me. I'm like, I can do a toothpick. No, he looks, I was so different. I look like me. And so, I, so when I got a little bit older in my teens, I started working out like crazy. And my brother was a boxer, so we had a whole setup in the garage so I could do speed bag and body bag, and then I would lift weights, and I would do everything, and it just didn't seem like anything was working. And I remember going to my mom, and I was like probably 16 years old. I'm like, it's not working. Nothing's happening. So they asked this guy that worked out. He goes, I'll just tell him to drink a bunch of milkshakes. He'll gain weight. So that's what I was doing. I was like, rah, rah, rah. <laughs> I wasn't gaining weight at all. My mom looked at me one day and she's like, you know, you're going to regret this when you get in your 30s and 40s. I'm like, no, I'm not. Oh, Lord, am I ever. So anyway, so... <laughs> So I go through this journey, but here's the thing. I worked out all through my 20s into my 30s because I was a musician. I was a drummer in particular. We'd play long sets. I had to be in shape. Was, you know, so I really were. And when I got into my early 30s, I really struggled with mental illness. Deep depression, deep darkness, deep anxiety. You heard some of that story. And so partly what happened was when I, 18 years ago, I finally decided I need to work on the inside of my life. I need to figure out what's triggering this. Jack even hinted to that. It's not simple and easy. It's, you know, it's simple, but it's not easy. There's a lot of things that trigger it. There's internal work that we have to do. And in fact, I would say this. I still believe that the most powerful work we can do is in the inside parts of our life. I really do. Even scripture says that the outward is fading away, but the inward's being renewed. Now, having said that, over the past 18 years, I've become out of balance. And I've worked so much on the internal that I've pushed away the physical. And so somewhere along the lines in the last uh, six months or so, I was like, man, I got to make a change. Something has to happen. And so I really have made a commitment uh, to try to change that and to try to try to do it. Now, most people would say, whatever you do, don't start a diet in the beginning of December. Just get through December and start the new year. I figured this, since I'm kind of a food addict, I'm like, I'm going to start in the beginning of December. 
And if I can make it through the holidays, score. And so since then till now, I've lost 15 pounds. That's a good thing. But I got, and I'm telling you that because I want you to hold me accountable. No, actually, I really don't want you to hold me accountable, but you probably will. So if I'm in the lobby eating a donut, say, don't do that. But here's the thing. You will hold me accountable. I remember walking in the lobby once. I'm not kidding. And I walked up and this guy goes, hey, wow, it looks like you, you've lost some weight. And I was like, oh, yeah. And I had I lost a little bit. And the other guy looks at me and goes, he's up and down all the time. So he said to me, I was encouraging. I felt good about myself after that. We have to care for our bodies. And I really do need to care for the body. I really believe our inner life is working, but it is so important to have a balance of physical and spiritual in and out of our. So our bodies belong to God. They need care and our bodies have a purpose. This was a tipping point for me. This is what I'm passionate about this point because this is what hit it for me this past year. Our bodies have a purpose. Why do we take care of our bodies? Is it for our own glory? Is it for just us to go, look at how awesome I am? I had a friend of mine, Bradley Russ here, uh, that just came in from Africa. We had him on stage several months ago. He moved to Africa in the middle of the bush to do unbelievable ministry. He's really in good shape, and it is hard sledding up there. He is just so intense, and he has to be in physical shape. Why? What's our purpose? Here's what happened to me. Uh, A few months ago, they said, we're going to take a trip to Nepal. And I've been to Nepal already. I love it. And if you don't know, we have a ministry there where we, we have rescued girls that have been trafficked brought them back, poured into them, got them to health, learn, have them learn about Jesus, learn about the gospel, and then go back into their villages. This unbelievable church movement that is happening with Ramesh and his team. And say, they was, hey, we got a small group of men and we're gonna go to Nepal. And I was like, oh, I wanna do that. I'm gonna go on that trip. And then Basil, who's up here, he's, he's running the trip. He goes, oh yeah. And we'll be trekking uh, three or four of the days with 50 pound, 50 pound you know, backpacks. And I was like, oh Lord, help me. Like, that's not going to work. This is not trekking right now. But here's what hit me. It hit me so strong. It's like, I don't want to be disqualified from this. I want to do this. And all of a sudden, there was something that hit me. The scripture came to light so deeply to me where Paul is talking to the people in Corinth. And he says this, don't you realize that in a race, everyone runs, but only one person gets the prize. So run to win. All athletes are disciplined in their training. They do it to win a prize that will fade away, meaning a prize of this world. But we do it, the ones that follow Jesus, for an eternal prize. So I run with purpose in every step. I'm not shadow boxing. I'm disciplining my body like an athlete, training it to do what it should. Otherwise, and this is what I fear, I fear that after preaching to others, I myself may be disqualified. I don't want to be disqualified. I want to be able to have... The ability to step into the purpose that God has for my life. I don't want to be limited. Now, look, it doesn't matter what we do. Our circumstances are our circumstances. It doesn't mean that I can lose all the weight in the world. It doesn't mean I'm going to be perfectly healthy. But what it does mean is that I can actually have a purpose for my life and say, I'm going to be ready when God says go. And I think we need to realize that God has a purpose for our bodies. Our bodies are a temple Corinth of all places would understand this when Paul pushed so hard and said, your body is a temple. They knew what that meant. Corinth was a place where there was so much decadence and abuse in the body and even the temple. And Paul in this passage that he shares with them is addressing sexual misconduct, but you can be seen in the greater picture. He says this, don't you realize that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit? I don't know if you've ever viewed it that way before. The Holy Spirit who lives in you and was given to you by God. 
When, we, when God puts his spirit inside of us, our bodies become the temple. And the people knew what this meant. The temple was an intense place at the time. They understood how radical this idea would be. The temple was a temple of where God was housed and only one person, one time a year, the high priest would ever be able to enter the temple. No one else. They knew what that meant. It was so holy that they would tie, it was said that they would tie a rope to the person as he entered the holy of holies, entered into the temple in case he came in contact with God and just died, they could pull him out. And Paul's saying, guess what? The Holy Spirit dwells inside of you. That your body is a temple. And we need to have that temple cleared up. Now, I don't know if you're like Amy and I, but if we're at home and all of a sudden the phone rings and I answer and I'm just like, oh, hello. And they're, hey, uh, I'm right down the street from your house. Can we come over? And I always say the same thing. Uh, we're kind of busy right now. Can you do it in like 45 minutes and then click and then like go crazy, making sure the house is acceptable. Then, oh, yeah, you can come over now. We're good. We've already done what we need to do, right? And then they come in. Why do we do that? Because we want people to come into a home that's honoring to them. So much more with our bodies that the Holy Spirit would dwell in it, that we would care for it internally and externally, that he would dwell in our bodies. If we start to view our bodies as temples where God dwells and lives, that can help us see the value in what we have. And so our bodies belong to God. They need care. They have a purpose. They are a temple. And then I have one more for you, and then we're going to receive communion. But before we do that, we'd like to receive our offering. And so if you've come prepared to give, you come prepared as an act of worship, awesome. Thank you for, for that. I'm so grateful for the generosity in our community. I'm so grateful for the mission that's happening. And this is all part of that. Amy and I give uh, straight out of our checks. It's electronic. You may do that as well. So don't feel anything when the pouch passes you. If you're brand new here, this does not have to be your moment at all. We've had so many new visitors over the last few weeks. We love that you're here. And these moments are moments where the, where the Spirit of God says, yes, I want to give back what you've given me. This doesn't have to be your moment. Your moment is something that we call starting point. So you just go out in the lobby, a little bit to your right, you'll see people in orange shirts say starting point. I'd love to shake your hand, tell you about this place, connect this big church, uh, and make it feel small. And, and by the way, today's a perfect day for you too because there's so many ways to connect. So do that. Take advantage of that. The last one is this. Our bodies matter to God. Our bodies matter to him. He, he cares deeply about it. Meaning there was a high price paid for our bodies. Scripture says this, do you not know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you've received from God? You are not your own. You were bought at a price. Therefore, honor God with your bodies. First Peter says this, for you know that it was not with perishable things such as silver or gold that you were redeemed from the empty way of life handed down to you from your ancestors, but with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect. God cares so much about our bodies and about our persons that he bought them at the highest price, the price of his son. Jesus laid down his body. He came to this earth, fully God, fully man, on a mission, a purpose. And in his earthly body, he had a purpose. 
And he went to the cross as a final sacrifice that whoever who would ever place their trust and believe in him would have a way to eternal life. Would have a way to think about themselves differently and think about God differently. Have a way to true freedom here on earth and for eternity with God. God cares so much about who we are that Jesus came to this earth on a mission to lay his life down for the betterment and the future of all. When we realize that our bodies are a gift from God, that they are alone to us, that we are responsible to care for them, that they house God's spirit and are the vessels for God's purposes. And ultimately our bodies were bought at the highest price. Our perspective has to shift. There has to be a shift in the way that we look at ourselves and as our community. I really do pray deeply in my heart that through this series, and we're seeing it by the numbers of people that are starting to step into hard things, that we learn how to surrender. We're going to sing a song in a minute say, you can have it all. Now that's a crazy statement. It's a crazy, we don't even do that on earth. We don't give everyone our all. And God's saying, give me your all. And because as you give me your all, I'm going to give you something so much better. I'm praying that we surrender our bodies, our desires, our appetites, our cravings, and we surrender to Christ and let him satisfy that hunger in you. I love the one philosopher, I don't even remember who said this, but he said there's a God-sized shape hole. And what we try to do is fill it with everything of this earth. And God's like, nothing will fill that other than me. Only God. I pray that we surrender our wrong thinking. We start to see God for who he is and we start to see how he sees us. And I pray that today is the day that we start to hunger for God more than we hunger for the things of this world. I don't know if you have the discipline of fasting. Believe me, as a food addict, when I have to fast, it is the most torturous thing that ever existed. But you know what's beautiful about fasting? People say, I don't know why you fast. That's weird. That's an old thing. No, you know why I would do it? Because as you fast, even if it's for a half a day or a day or two days or three days or a week, Dave Wilson said this to me years and years ago. He's one of the founders of our church, pastor, lead pastor at Orient Campus. He said, I fast. And he said, when I fast, every time I get a hunger pain, I say to God, would you fill that? And I'll tell you something, that is so powerful. Because it's not just food you can fast from. You can fast from all the things that are the cravings of your life that are taking over your life. And as you fast and as you have a desire and a craving to do it, Lord, would you fill that craving? Don't let the world fill it. And so we're going to receive communion. And I think it's a perfect way to give us a new perspective as we start to realize that God laid down his body. And as we have the bread in our hands that symbolizes his body. We're going to receive that and say, Lord, would you fill the cravings of my life? So let me pray. And then the band is going to do that. And the ushers are going to come down and we're going to receive communion together. Lord, thank you. Thank you for your son. Thank you for our way back to you through our faith and belief in Jesus Christ. Lord, we believe what the scriptures say, Lord, that there is a God-sized shape holding us, but only you can fill that. Only you can give us our identity. Only you know who we are. You are the one that molded us, shaped us, intricately wove us together. Father, I pray that through these truths, we are set free to surrender our body to you. Pray in Jesus' name. Amen.
There's a powerful story in the Gospel of John where Jesus feeds thousands with this little kind of lunch and they're amazed and astonished by it. And then he just leaves and goes to another village. And at night, all these people that have been fed go to find him. And they find him in the morning. And he says, you're here only because you want to be fed again. And he said, you work for food that perishes or spoils. He said, but I have a food that will lead to eternal life. And the son of God can give you that. And they're like, oh, well, I want that. How do we get that? What do I have to do? And one of my life verses is, is John 6, 28, 29. It's one of the rare places in scripture that said, this is what God requires of you. It says, oh, if you want that, this is what God requires of you to believe, to place your trust in the one that he sent, to place your trust in Christ. That's food that will never spoil. That's food that fills the God's eyes whole in our heart, in our soul. And so as you take the bread, if you haven't taken it already, as you take it, think of that image of God filling you with his righteousness and not the things of the world. Let's take it together. Yeah. Mm-hmm.
that image of that basin of water to me sticks in my brain because I just feel like it would be unbelievable if we could grab onto the concept of surrender and wash off the things that are of this earth that are masking who we truly are. I love that image. And I love that when we're taking the wine that is symbolic of God pouring out his sacrifice for us, pouring out his blood. It says in scripture that his blood washes over us and makes us white as snow. A friend of mine says that God welcomes us in when we surrender and he looks at us and he tells us who we are and he turns us around. He says, this is what I want you to see. This is how I want you to see the world go. And so as we take this, I want you to think of God just washing you clean as a new beginning. Let's take this together. Lord, thank you for your sacrifice. Thank you for washing us clean. Thank you for making a way for all those that place their faith in Jesus Christ that they have a way to be washed clean. We are broken, Lord, all of us. I don't know what's happening in the room as far as people dealing with their vessels in their body, but Lord, we through Christ, we have a way of having them restored over and over by coming to him and confessing and repenting and turning and you turn us and send us back out. Lord, I pray for incredible surrender in our community a cleansing like we've never seen before and you pushing us in a direction that we can never imagine. Pray in Jesus' name, amen. Well, listen, next week, when you come next week, it's our last week, we're doing something called a life token. We've explained it before, but if there's something in your life that you're gonna surrender to God, we want you to bring it in. It could be a bottle. It could be anything that would symbolize makeup. Anything that if you have fear, anything that you have, bring it with you. And we're going to surrender that in our last week and say, God, this is a new day. Wednesday, 7 o'clock here, we have a guest speaker, Dave Gibbons. We'd love you to come and see him, a great author and pastor. Next week, Andrew Kim's going to be talking about digital vices. If you need prayer, down front in the lobby and connect, connect, connect. We'll be out, the team will be out there to greet you and shake your hand. Have a great week.